I'm Martin Chatter. I'm Botan Pinter. I'm Lawrence Lee. And welcome to another episode of You Can't Podcast with Kids. Um, I'm in the hot seat today uh, for the first time ever, about I think two months overdue since the first time that I stated I was going to host the pod. But yeah, it just shows that here at the symposium we have different hosts. We like a bit of change. I like um, the DFB in Germany, who today announced they were going to stick with Yogi Love um, as a Germany manager for the foreseeable future and for the Euros next summer, which I think was quite a surprising decision given the sort of backlash that he's had and he's faced in the last year or so. Um, but yeah, let's just sort of jump straight to it. We had a packed weekend of domestic football this weekend. Um, and I think the best place to start is at Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea and Spurs played out a very sort of dull, lifeless, goalless draw. Um, I personally, as a Chelsea fan, was fairly happy with the result. We kept our unbeaten run going. We didn't concede a goal against our biggest rivals. Um, but yeah, Lawrence and Boti, what do you think of the game overall? Um, I didn't. I did not enjoy the game. I was gonna. I usually start with, "Oh, this is a great weekend of football," and I had loads of fun. No, no, this game was pretty boring. Um, I just like to say, me and you, Boti, we're really excited to have Arjun as our guest host for today. It's like it's a bit like when the substitute teacher comes in and you just and you you really take advantage because you you got to have a good firm hand at the wheel. That's what I'm saying, Arjun. To keep <laughs> yeah, to keep us say, Yeah, my first appearance. I want to. Yeah, I want to keep you in check. I want to make sure that things don't get too out of hand here. <laughs> you know, unruly school children. Oh no! Oh no! Sir, can I go to the toilet? Oh, okay, fine. I just talk about the Chelsea match then. Well, you know, Jose Mourinho. What a what a fantastic masterclass from him to get a nil-nil draw at Stamford Bridge. Um, yeah, uh, I didn't really. The reason why I didn't enjoy the game is because I expected a lot of goals and didn't didn't get them. Um, there weren't actually that many chances. I think Timo Werner. Scored a very nice finish, but it was ruled out for offside. But apart from that, there wasn't really much going on. Giroud maybe had a chance at the end. Um, I, I guess Chelsea would be happy with another clean sheet because we did sort of question whether their defence could handle big sides. Well, they handled a shit Spurs attack. So, um, good job. Yeah, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah, both you, what do you think? I'm surprised, Lawrence, that you expected many goals from this game. Um, I, I always knew this would be a low-scoring game. I perhaps um, thought it was more likely to be a 1-1 with uh, Harry Kane nabbing one as he normally does in the London derby and maybe some, something like a Chilwell goal. That, that was my prediction. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the game showed that Chelsea's uh, defence is very good. The, both, both keepers put on a performance. Um, but, um, I mean, nil-nil, I think... I think everyone's happy with that, Arjun. Uh, you're happy, aren't you? You you wanted yeah. a, a draw and you said you'd be happy with that. I, I think I'm um, looking at the statistics. I think Tottenham's only won once at Stamford Bridge in God knows how many years in the Premier League. And um, there was a disproportionate amount of draws as well in this clash. So really, I think the statistics, um, the, this this game just falls within the trend of, of the statistics here. And uh, yeah. I agree. It, was, it certainly wasn't the most exciting game of the day or the weekend at all. I think we now have one win for Spurs at Stamford Bridge in the last 30 meetings, um, 11 draws and 18 losses. So, you know, the, the odds were sort of always heavily stacked against Spurs. But I think, you know, given the context of the season and the start that both teams have had, I think they'll be both be happy with the draw. The game itself was quite cagey, not many chances created at all. I think Tottenham's XG in the second half was zero. Um, they literally didn't create a single chance. I think that the Chelsea defence managed to neutralise Son and Kane fairly well, um, who, who just weren't in the game at all. 
And I think Chelsea sort of played okay, but given our dominance off, off the ball in, in most of the game, we should have done better with the chance that we had. Um, but yeah, I think both teams will take the draw. I mean, I was just wondering, so obviously Spurs are now gone top of the table, but does it really matter at this point of the season? I mean, Spurs fans are sort of celebrating the fact that they've got a point away at Stamford Bridge. But I mean, it's November. Surely, surely you're just going to be like trying to accumulate as many points as possible rather than playing for the draw um, in this sort of fixture just to go top of the table quite early into the season? I mean, it's a good point, which is what Spurs will be. And it's clearly what Jose wanted with the tactics that he put out. Um, I mean, yes, you're right. It's about getting as many points off on the board. But if you look at the wider picture, you know, Tottenham and Chelsea are like, you would say, at least rivals for top four. So, you know, um, I think I think both sides will see it more as a point gain than two points lost, to be honest. Um, lose, yeah. I mean, I take your point, but, you know, it's a game yeah. between two big sides. I think Maybe I agree with the last thing yeah. Lauren says there about the, 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 both sides coming, are coming away from this clash, seeing the positive light more than the negative. And perhaps I, I think the reason that the game was so cagey and um, seemed quite intense is I, I presume... The win should there have been a winner, it would have been a great, um, would have given a great momentum to whichever side won, and um, perhaps that could have been the start of a dominant uh, lead of the table by Spurs if they nabbed the three points. Chelsea certainly seeming like title contenders now in my eyes. So um, really, I, I think it was two of the strongest teams in the Premier League, both with a very good chance of winning it this year. Okay, very interesting. High praise indeed from uh, Boti there. I think now moving on to a side, a side that definitely did, did drop points and yeah, the result must be killing them is Southampton who sort of shirked a 2-0 advantage to uh, lose at home to Manchester United. I think, yeah, I mean, uh, Lawrence, do you want to have your take on this? I mean, from, from the sort of, from the outside side, it sort of felt like, yeah, very much drop points for Southampton. In quite well, okay. I mean, okay, so this game was definitely... The classic game of two halves, kind of. Southampton raced away to a 2-0 lead in the first half because James Ward-Prowse is a cheat code from, from set pieces, honestly. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, what I hated most about the, the Ward-Prowse free-kick goal was that it was, like, so predictable. Like, you just knew he was going to place it at the near post and, like, the idiot that is Fred, you know, instead of, like... Um, maybe trying to get in the wall and jumping, you know, he, he slide tackled to the space under the wall as if he was going to go low and he just looked like a prat when the ball went in um, over his head. Um, yeah, so Southampton went to a 2-0 lead, but United created so many chances in the first half that I never felt that we were truly out of the game. And obviously the game-changing moment was when Dean Henderson came... No, uh, it was when Edinson Cavani came off the bench to score two goals and get an assist. Man, this guy is, like, when you've had, like, such raw strikers at the club, like Greenwood and Rashford and Martial, it's so refreshing seeing a guy who actually knows what he's doing inside the penalty area. Like, watching Cavani's movement throughout that game honestly gave me, like, uh, climax after climax. <laughs> and, you know, um, if you watch his, if you watch sort of his movement leading up to the two goals that he scored, it's just that typical, you know, what everyone calls striker's instinct that I didn't know existed before I saw this game. Um, and his two diving headers just oozed with class. Um, are you are you did, surprised, though, by the impact that Cavani's had? I mean, we all know he's a great striker, but obviously United have had a history of 
South American strikers coming to the club and sort of failing. You had Forlan and then Falcao. I sort of, you know, I, I did like the signing on paper, but I did also think that Cavani would be... Forlan's a legend. So, I, uh, Old Trafford, mate. You know, winners against Chelsea and Liverpool. Okay, maybe he didn't, you know, have like a rude Van Nistelrooy-like effect, but he had his moments. But, I mean... I don't, I don't know if there's necessarily something to be said for a pattern of South American strikers failing. I think the question mark was, you know, he was at, without a club for, what, seven months or something after being released by PSG. And, you know, he's, you know, at like, I think he's like probably like 33, 34. He's not, you know, uh, in his prime years. But it's clear that that experience really comes in handy um, when you have not the greatest of defences in Southampton and just... Um, so some decent supply. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know whether Cavani will be the answer to all of our problems, but this game certainly he turned it on his head. Do you see anything you have to say about this game? I mean, I mean, United obviously are showing in recent um, weeks, and they they have a good ability to sort of come back from the dead almost. Yeah, yeah. And uh, first of all, uh, just going back to the Tottenham-Chelsea game quickly, you're right, Arjun, it is big praise for me because Chelsea and Tottenham are two teams that I don't often praise and they're they're not normally my favourite, but they've caught my eye this year. So quickly back to um, United. Uh, uh, I'm going to let Lawrence talk about this more. I just want to put some questions to him, really. Is First, should Cavani be starting? I mean, the easy answer is yes, but I want to get the nuanced answer from you, Lawrence, um, because... I mean, he had the effects of the sub, but just why wasn't he there from the start? And, um, well, I'll, I'll let you do that one first. So, this is interesting. So, Cavani obviously came on for Greenwood at half-time. half-time. And um, the issue with our uh, finishing in the first half was clear for everyone to see. We had two or three chances to score Fernandez and Greenwood, and they just couldn't put them away. Um, and they were clear-cut chances. That's why I said, you know, United was still in the game. The 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 reason why I think Cavani should be starting right now is because he he's more than just a great striker with great movement. He's a person that can actually teach our younger strikers how it's done. You know, um, he because of his experience, because of his know how in the game, allowing him to start alongside more raw attacking players will give us the threat that we need. And as Ole said after the game, we haven't really had a focal point since Lukaku left. Um, and it's all well in saying, oh, that classic, oh, Greenwood, Rash- Rashford, Martial, we've got great movement, great dynamism. You know, at the end of the day, we need a guy who can finish. And that's clearly what Cavani is providing to decide. I think the reason why he wasn't there before is similar to why DeBake hasn't, hadn't started a Premier League game before um, yesterday, which he did He did finally, um, is that, you know, he, had, he had needed time to build up his fitness and adapt to the Premier League. Now that he has done that, clearly... He should be starting in my eyes. I think he should definitely be starting against PSG, um, given their defence. Um, mm-hmm. That's the uh, nuanced answer. Was that was that good enough for you, Boti? It was. Argent, it was Argent actually teacher, perfect right? because for me it was <laughs> I mean, perfect because it's the it's the um, perfect segue into my second question, which is um, unlike last season when you were completely enamoured with the new Bruno Fernandez and he was perfect and godlike. You've been criticising him a fair amount this season on losing the ball a lot, etc. Now, I, I haven't heard that from you today. Do you think Bruno and DeBake work well together in that setup and Cavani up top? Is that your ideal 
starting lineup then? I'd like to say, first of all, that Bruno did not have the perfect game despite scoring a goal and technically assisting another. Um, he did miss a massive chance in the first half because uh, he's just too laid back. He thought that the, the, you know, the shot was easy and the XG was off the charts. So, but McCarthy managed to make the save. Um, I think, yeah, Bruno Debake, um, maybe Pogba if he can be fit in, but certainly the diamond formation that uh, Ole played today really worked because of that interplay between the midfielders, um, and especially in the second half, of course. But yeah, um, I I still think that we need an adequate threat on the right wing, which Cavani did sort of provide, but we need somebody like <clears throat> Sancho. Yeah, I mean, just on Van der Beek, I think in the game yesterday, he's obviously still finding his feet, but I think his sort of role yesterday was quite sort of well-defined in that he was sort of playing on the left side of midfield. Um, and yet he was like, you know, building play when you know had the ball, but also clearly pressing the right back of Southampton when, when they didn't have the ball. In contrast to Bruno, who's obviously like a bit of a free roamer, has, you know, has the ability to go anywhere. I think that shows that they're able to work fairly well in tandem as long as Van der Beek has that sort of set role in, on the left side of midfield. Um, but I think, yeah, it's nice seeing him sort of grow into the team and, and as he's getting more minutes and, and definitely like, yeah, finding his feet more in the Premier League. Um, now on to more, one of the more interesting stories of the weekend is, of course, Arsenal's uh, um, yet again another home loss for Arsenal. I think they're third in the row in the league. They're only this, they've only um, lost three games in the Premier League. Um, in a row on three separate occasions and two of them have come the last year um, under Mikel Arteta. I mean, it's just poor, isn't it? I mean, is it really surprised that they're losing at home to Wolves? I guess not now, but I mean, it's really poor from them uh, to succumb to a Wolves team who haven't exactly shone this season, but yet were able to get the better of Arsenal at the Emirates. Um, Arsenal are really strange. They, they seem to be simultaneously really incisive and threatening. But also, you can like never see them actually scoring. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's really down to the lack of finishing at the club at Arsenal. Aubameyang has has been okay this season, not great. And then apart from that, you have a misfiring Lacazette, um, and then you have just a bunch of like nice midfield players who are look okay, but don't seem to have like a deadly touch. Like Reese Nelson, Bukayo Saka, they both missed chances during this game. Um, and they actually had to get Gabriel to score, who, I don't know what you guys think, but Gabriel looks to me like the most generic South American-looking player that I've ever seen. Um, but Yeah, yeah. Much, much the same way that Pedro looks like the most Spanish person you can ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, obviously, this game was overshadowed by um, Raul Jimenez's clash with Diego, um, with David Luiz, rather, and obviously that was sickening. I don't know if anyone watched the game live, but to see him sort of carried off in this, on a stretch with a head injury was... I think very sandine we can only hope that he gets better soon i think the initial reports are that he has a fractured skull um which isn't a good sign for his sort of future career at the least i mean i know that um ryan mason a few years ago for spurs had a similar injury against chelsea and had to sort of almost retire instantly um Petr Cech also had it but he was able to continue with the skull cap that's something that's not really available or you know a viable option for um, jimenez like moving forward as an outfield player um, so yeah, obviously it's quite disappointing, very upsetting, and let's hope that he recovers soon. Um, but I think this sort of brings up a wider debate of concussion substitutes um, in football in general. I know that um, today it was announced that um, sort of the trial for concussion substitutes was going to start next year, 
um, nothing confirmed, but um, I think the Guardian reported this um, this morning that uh, yeah, a trial of additional permanent substitutes for such injuries could begin in the new year. Um, yeah, Boti, what do you what do you what do you think about this? And do you think that sort of David Luiz staying on the pitch was good? I mean, obviously, it should, should some he should have been brought off straight away, shouldn't he? Yeah, I think um, that that's the right place to start. We should go in chronological order. So. So the the incident happened, and there, there was really that sickening noise as well that you could really clearly hear the the crunching, some real damage being done there. Now the the FA guidelines, the concussion guidelines that are pro- published, is is the following: footballers who sustain a suspected concussion either during training or in a game should immediately be removed from the pitch and not allowed to return until the appropriate treatment has been administered. So of course David Luiz falls under this. I mean it, it's clear to everyone here that the the condition of having a suspected concussion is uh, is fulfilled. Um, so the question really is well, what what should the appropriate treatment be? But the problem is that footballers, especially highly motivated ones, will want to get back on the pitch immediately. They'll want to fight for the club. At the moment you know, having to substitute in the fifth minute with limited subs, especially this season, is is not ideal. So the player would want to get back. The manager might be somewhat reluctant to make a substitution, and uh, that that's a problem. This is why I su- I support the this trial of the concussion substitutions and the temporary one for that, so that when the player is um, seen to properly, and maybe they've renounced. The decision the doctors have had a good look and said well actually um you know this player is fine he can go back on the pitch and nothing will happen then they should be able to sub, sub back as opposed to a, a permanent substitute an extra permanent substitution that they'd get but um david louis specifically um the, the real giveaway for me as to why this wasn't okay was that he had to be brought off at uh, half time now of course arteta said it's because he wasn't comfortable heading the ball but there was blood seeping through the bandage um, I, I think it's dangerous and it, it's not the responsible thing to do to keep the player there. Lawrence, any thoughts? Yeah, I think um, that all of this combined with obviously the recent calls for um, a, a, you know, studies into the link of heading with dementia with all this uh, Bobby Charlton um, tragically suffering from uh, diagnosed with dementia recently. Um, it really puts into perspective the the risks that are there are the risks that um, you know are associated with the, with football in general, and I completely agree with everything that Boti and and you Arjun have said. Um, yeah, uh, if David Luiz needs to be taken off at half time, then he should be taken off earlier, because there's no point in taking such a risk and. Um, <clears throat> by not, you know, facilitate because obviously, you know, taking off a player is a big is a big deal for these football clubs during games. You lose that competitive advantage. We need to do everything we can to protect our players, but also make sure that clubs the decision to take off a player is, is basically taken out of the club's hands, um, because they won't always make the right decision for the safety of their players when such money is on the line. Yeah. I remember a few years ago um, between Man City and Liverpool when Edison had to be taken off on a stretcher after Sadio Mane accidentally sort of kneed him in the face um, like, uh, after a high, high challenge. And I, I, I think Edison stated today that um, when there's a blow to the head, there should be a substitution immediately, regardless whether the, the player himself thinks that they can t- continue. 
Uh, you know, you might be feeling okay at the time, but after the game, there might, might be more consequences. And I think the owners should be really taken away from the player. I mean, players might feel like, okay, I have to carry on. And, you know, it's good if I carry on for the benefit of the team. But, you know, if there's a concussion substitute available and, you know, each team get, gets an additional substitute, then, you know, if they're affected by this, then that should really... The, the owners should be on the medical team and also the manager to, to just withdraw the player immediately. I think giving the player agency to decide whether they want to continue or not is dangerous um, and can lead to sort of, yeah, more sort of deeper impacts um, and effects uh, following the game. I mean, yeah, um, we can only wish that um, Jimenez recovers uh, swiftly and sufficiently that he can hopefully come back on the, on the pitch soon. But yeah, I'm quite sad. And that's the sort of main takeaway from that game. Um, moving forward, um, or moving on rather, um, Everton losing at home to Leeds in a game that sort of must have annoyed all these sort of football statistics nerds because it seemed like there was going to be a goal every five minutes, but yet there was only one goal in it. Um, Leeds coming away with an away win. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really sorry to all of our listeners who actually captained Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the end because he, Everton didn't score. I'd like to point out that I nay-nayed you all and Captain Fernandez in the end, so that's a cheeky extra 10 points for me. Um, with regards to the game, yeah, good result for Leeds. I think um, Everton, they're on a bit of a slide at the moment, and I know they won last time out, but a loss, a loss this time, and and I, I don't, I don't really have an explanation for it to be honest. I don't think Carlo Ancelotti does either. I think it's just how the Premier League works, um, in that you have to, you know, be at your best every single game to to get the three points, and they just slipping to a fourth defeat in five games is just quite poor, to be honest. Yeah, um, I mean, they haven't, they haven't kept a clean sheet since since the first game of the season against Spurs. Um, injuries obviously haven't helped. I think Luca Dinier and Seamus Coleman are now out for some while, but it's a bit of a worrying slipping form for them, who, you know, were being praised rightly so um, so much at the start of the season in sort of the first five, six games. And now, yeah, as you said, four and five um, losses, not good. Leeds coming away with it all away win that was very impressive. I think they should definitely have scored, uh, you know, or had more sort of clear opportunities. Um, but yeah, Boti, thoughts about Everton? Do you think they'll sort of come back to the form that they were showing showing at the start of the season? I'm I'm a, I'm a bit of Lawrence on this one. I'm I'm quite lost as to why it happened, and I was actually expecting um, as you guys said, a, a goal a goal fest in this one, and I was really surprised that it just wasn't happening. Um, so what what are Everton's next steps? Um, I think they just have to keep playing the same way they have. It's um, I don't think they're doing anything wrong tactically. They did have their chances in this game. Um, I think they just have to power through. Uh, maybe it's just a, a little down phase. They haven't had the best of luck. Um, I, I, I really can't say anything smarter than that. They just have to keep playing. And it should come. The goal should come. They have real talent in that squad up front. Yeah. Um, okay, so now moving forward um, onto the Champions League midweek fixtures again. Again, they just never seem to end. Um, yeah, so on Tuesday um, evening, we have groups A to D. And nicely, on the next day, we have groups E to F. So in group A, tomorrow, Atletico take on Bayern in, in a sort of heavyweight fixture between two sides who have sort of are sort of having similar seasons domestically. But obviously, in the group stage of the Champions League this season, Atleti are suffering and find themselves a bit vulnerable um, being chased behind by a locomotive in Salzburg. This is sort of a must-win game for Atletico Madrid. Boti, Atletico Madrid obviously doing excellently in La Liga this season, only considered two goals in nine games. 
Um, they're top of the table, have two games on in hand. And yeah, I mean, how do you think their, their sort of league um, form is dovetailing with their um, Champions League form? Well, I mean, it's they've got Bayern and that's quite demoralising. <laughs> they've lost one, sorry. Um, and when, when you say they're being chased by Lokomotiv and Salzburg, um, I'd frame it uh, the other way around, is that Atletico are barely getting away from them. They've hardly got any points after four games. It's not what you expected to see. But um, it's it's strange, really, isn't it? Because Atletico are doing excellent in the league, and I at, at this point, I'm pretty confident they're going to win because Real Madrid are a shambles. Barcelona is even bigger shambles right now. Um, That's and a Atletico... big call. That's a big, big call that Atletico going to win the league. Oh, you know what? Write write it down. What's the date? It's. I think I think it's very fair call to be honest because they are they do very solid. I mean, Sausies are doing excellently as well, but I mean, Real Madrid and Barcelona just keep slipping and you know dropping points or not picking up the pace officially. Yeah, enough. well, Real Madrid are just they're they're just a sloppy team this season, and they haven't had as much luck as last year because really they were they were just a sloppy last year. They just had an immense amount of luck, in my opinion. And Barcelona is going through that horrible phase of finding the the right formula and I mean we're getting there and Griezmann in his last six yeah last six games has actually performed well to my infinite surprise but Atletico seem to have that nice combination of young and old players um new talent and uh, old experience and they're just putting up solid performances and they're not messing up their little games which is of course how you win La Liga it's it's not so much about the big ones it's about all those little ones just racking up the points um, so back back to Champions League. I mean, they'll 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 still come second in my opinion in this group. Um, tomorrow, maybe a draw. That, that's that's all I can say on this one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd certainly be a very interesting game. Group B is obviously the sort of the big daddy of this group of this um, league stage. Um, Shakhtar at home to Real Madrid, who obviously succumbed to Shakhtar a few a few match uh, days ago sort of surprising game given that Shakhtar had sort of um, suffered so many COVID-related sort of um, um, injuries or, you know, missing players. Um, but also, yeah, Shakhtar sort of let, let the gauntlet slip a little bit. Um, and then Gladbach taking on Milan in Italy. I mean, yeah, both both these games look excellent. Milan desperate to get a win, to sort of even put themselves back in the conversation for um, even even Europa League spot, given that they're two places behind, two points behind Shakhtar. Boti, what do you make of Real Madrid losing at home to Alaves this, this weekend? And how do you think it will sort of impact their midweek Champions League game? Uh, if, any, if anything, um, Real Madrid seem to bounce back from losses very well. That, it's to their credit, that's something they do. If they lose one game, then the next game they'll, they'll really go all out and they will probably end up winning. Um, Group B of the 2020-21 Champions League is genuinely one of my favorite groups i've seen in a very long time because it's just so much fun seeing real madrid struggle as well of course um but uh i i think real madrid will um will win tomorrow i think i think inter milan uh will also end up winning so this group is going to be very exciting um no it's any the game tomorrow yeah um that Real Madrid game of the weekend was an absolute shambles. Um, it's just, uh, am I correct in thinking that Alaves have done this to to Madrid and Barca before? Like they've just absolutely nutted them away. Um, but yeah, Real Madrid just look all at sea at the back, and I don't, 
<sighs> that midfield of Casemiro, Kroos, and Modric, I don't know how long they can like continue to be, you know, part of that midfield and not seem like they're growing old and stale because yeah. in my eyes they just have they've lacked they're lacking that penetration that they had. Yeah. Like you have six Fede, years you have, ago. you have Fede Valverde who every time I see him looks excellent. I don't know that he's gonna sort of take away minutes from Modric and Kroos as they get older. But I mean they sort of do lack the dynamism of the Real Madrid that we were used to a couple of seasons ago. Um and certainly an attack where aside from Benzema, I mean you have the young talents of Rodrigo, Vinicius, but obviously Hazard now suffering yet another injury. He sort of seems cursed. Every time he seems to sort of be playing himself into form, gets injured, which is obviously really disappointing for me as a big Hazard fan. Probably the best player that I've ever seen play live. And that's upsetting to see. But, I mean, you know, let's see how they do. I, I also do think that they'll um, get a win against Shakhtar tomorrow. And, yeah, it will sort of turn the group on its head if Inter also beat Gladbach. Um, moving on to Group C... Um, City uh, playing in Portugal. I mean, this is a sort of dull group to me because you have Marseille who are just consigned to the bottom. Don't seem like they'll ever win the Champions League for the rest of our lifetime, the way they're playing. And yeah, Man City seem like they'll just sort of play well in Porto, probably get a draw and away win and sort of move move on, um, you know, just cement their places on the group. Do you guys have any sort of thoughts about this group or the games tomorrow? I was just hoping Marseille could do something. You know, we, we talk, we <laughs> talked about that. No, I don't. I don't. I actually think, I hope they lose every single game just so VS Bars can go like, oh, so we're out of the Champions League and we didn't even make Europa League, but that's because we're shit. I know. <laughs> the, quote, the quotes be excellent no matter what happens tomorrow, to be honest. But yeah, um, let's, let, let's, let's hope for an entertaining post-game conference from VS Bars at least. Um, group D now. So, this is an interesting one because obviously Liverpool dropped points um, on the weekend against Brighton um, and now sort of have to play Michelin in Germany, I think, because of the sort of travel restrictions in Denmark right now. Um, but yeah, the, the loss at home to Atlanta last week uh, last week means that they have to sort of go for the win. Uh, you know, if they somehow um, loot, drop points against Michelin, then Ajax and Atlanta can sort of, you know, ramp up the pressure on Liverpool. Um, Lawrence, what do you think about this, these sort of uh, two games in this group? Well, am I correct in thinking Liverpool just need to not lose to Ajax and they'll be fine, right? They will be fine, but I think, you know, you want to top the group, don't you? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a, this was billed as a great group. Obviously, Michelin being the whipping boys allowed everyone to get, like, well, they should have allowed everyone to get six points. Didn't turn out in that end. That way, did it? Um, well, actually, no. What am I saying? No, I think Michelin have dropped. Michelin have, have zero dropped. points. In the yeah, they have zero points. Yeah, what am I saying? Yeah, no, they are the whipping boys and they're shit. God, Lawrence. Um, they have. They still have Pionazisto, who was a. Lawrence, you're getting bullied by the substitute team. Oh my yeah, god, no! Now that's chuck... turned the group on its head, hasn't it? <laughs> I'm gonna chuck a rubber band ball at his face. Um, I think. I think that. Um, uh, yeah, I was gonna say that Pionazisto used to be a football manager wonder kid, and he was at Michelin like. Eight from ages ago, or Copenhagen ages ago, and he's yeah, still. Yeah, he, he went to Spain. Didn't quite work out for him. Gone back to Denmark now. Um, yeah. Not exactly his team. Are not exactly doing well, are they? I mean, yeah, they're not. How do you think Liverpool will do um, in Germany? Which is obviously you know an interesting fixture. Do you think they'll? I think I personally think they'll sort of get an easy win. I think the more important game is between Ajax and Atlanta. Um, if either side could, could get a win there, I mean that really does turn the group on its head. Yeah, I, I agree. I I mean, obviously, I don't want Liverpool to win, but they, they will. So, as in, they'll get through the group stage and then they'll 
probably lose in the last 16. Lol. Oh, big call, big call. Um, Write that down too. <laughs> group E is obviously interesting for me, not because of pers- not just because of personal interest, because other uh, it is. Let's be honest. Um, so, <laughs> what do I say? It's um, done. It's done. That, so that, last that weekend, done. Sorry, last week when Chelsea got the away win in Ren, all the fans were sort of celebrating, all the pundits were lauding Chelsea for you know getting the win. But I, I'm still not very confident because obviously. We drop points at home to Sevilla, which means that we have to go away in Spain to now, you know, get it done there. And if we don't, if we don't win there, you know, even if we drop points there, it will be still disappointing. I still think we have a chance of coming second in this group, which is not ideal. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm just hoping for a sort of draw in this game. You know, a win would be excellent, but you know, Sevilla obviously a very competent team, not quite doing it in La Liga this season, I don't think. Um, you know, they're not quite putting the pressure on the top four. Like you maybe thought they would would do, given that Barcelona and Real Madrid are sort of suffering slightly. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of like who's progressing from the group, obviously it's a done deal. Krasnodar and Ren can't compete. Um, but it'll be interesting to see which of the two teams can progress into the Europa League at least. Um, group F is sort of the sort of interesting group, but one that hasn't got much attention um, other than sort of the Haaland exploits. Um, Dortmund are playing. Um, Lazio, I think, and Club Bruges are playing Zenit. Do you guys have any thoughts about uh, the games in this group this week? I'm pretty sure last time we mentioned... Every time we mention this group, I say it like in a joking way to ask like Calvin to preview Club Bruges versus Zenit, and then he goes, I don't really have any thoughts on that. So uh, I don't have any thoughts on this group, except from the fact that I I like Haaland. Do you like Haaland? <laughs> I like him. That's a hot take. That is. That I think, is a I hot think, take. I think nowadays saying that you like Haaland, Reina, and Sancho is getting into a very sort of lazy analysis of Dortmund. Just saying that. All right, I mean, fine, fine. Nowadays, Jude Bellingham's going to win the Ballon d'Or in 2025. <laughs> How about that? How about yeah, that? The foot's still going in five years. You yeah. Know, you can hold me to that. Um, group G now. Um, French Raros playing Barcelona in what is a very interesting time for Boti, personally. Um, mm. And then Juventus playing Kiev. I mean, Barcelona, excellent result on the weekend. Um, you know, finally sort of getting a lot of goals in a game against Osasuna. Um, and also one that was marked by a sort of very poignant and very sort of emotional celebration of Messi, which, you know, wearing the sort of Niels Old Boys um, shirt of Maradona under his Barcelona kit. In what is, I must say, a very, very excellent kit, that one, um, the Argentinian size kit. Nice throwback there. Um, really? I don't like it. I think it's excellent. I think, I think so it's an awful colour. Very... That red is not. No. <laughs> I tell you what it is nice. I'm, I'm kind of um, between you guys. I mean, it's okay, but I'm, I'm not. I tell you what is nice is this weekend when Napoli beat Roma 4 0, they sort of changed their kit slightly. They sort of combined the traditional Napoli kit with the Argentinian kit, and it looked absolutely lovely. Like, it wow. was really nice. Look it up. It was genuinely lovely, and it's a shame they probably won't keep that as a kit going forward. It was like. The sort of a Brighton kit of a couple of years ago where they had the stripes, but it was done very, very well. Um, but yeah, Boti, how do you think? That how do you think very nice. will do just in Hungary? Is very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they, should, should they should come away with a win. Ferenc Vadosham can put up a good fight, you know, as we saw last week against Juventus. Um, almost had it. Uh, it there was a bit of a, a blunder on social media by Barcelona earlier today. You know, on Facebook and Twitter, where they put they'd be playing in Bucharest, um, which, you know, it, in Hungary, it's a joke that everyone who's not from Hungary keeps mixing up Bucharest and Budapest. But um, 
glad to see they changed that. But uh, yeah, but Barcelona are going to come away with the win, in my opinion. Um, I, I think we, we feel pretty safe. I'm not sure if we're going to play our full strength squad. Um, I certainly want to see more of Martin Braithwaite. I really think he's fantastic. Sentences um, that have been said before. What the hell? Okay, fair enough. I, I actually, I, I remember um, this was this, this this predates the pod actually. So um, luckily this never this never went live. But I remember a conversation I had with Ashwin and um, and Lawrence getting absolutely roasted for saying that the emergency transfer rule is okay. <laughs> maybe maybe like it, almost a year ago now when we acquired Martin oh, Braithwaite. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You remember that? Oh, yeah, Lekner like, like so, is getting screwed over by that one. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. We could uh, we can bring that up. Uh, possibly we'll see it in action this year. There's so many injuries. I, I, I'm I'm sure it'll happen, and it'll, it'll come up in the pod. Um, yeah, I guess uh, this is just my chance as well to pay tributes to uh, Diego Maradona, and it was a very nice celebration from Messi. Um, I think perhaps what was the most powerful part of the whole celebration was the way that he took his own kit off and he just threw it to the side like it was nothing. And of course, that's that's one of the greatest of football, doing it to the other. Um, that was very emotional for me, so I thought that was very nice. And, yeah. uh, Lawrence is laughing, so I kind of feel like the substitute teacher now getting <laughs> bullied. <laughs> I'd say in terms of like marathon attributes, I did like um, the one by Boca Juniors last night. So basically, his daughter always went to the games with him in like the Boca Junior stand, like his Maradona's personal stand. And you know, since like she was a child, and she was there as well um, last night uh, for their game against against Neil's Old Boys. So sort of like you know the two clubs that he's synonymous with, that Messi and Maradona are synonymous with. And what the Boca Juniors players sort of after the first goal sort of ran up to her like at, or as close to her as they could get, and sort of um, held out like Maradona shirts and sort of made it very emotional. It was quite nice seeing that. Like very yeah, very poignant. Um, and then yeah, moving back to the Champions League, so the final group stage, um, final group rather of this group stage. Obviously, the the biggest game I'd say um, of this this midweek, possibly alongside Atletico Bayern, is PSG United. I mean, this is tasty, Lawrence. Yeah, we're United at top of the group and have been since I think the first uh, match day, but. The group isn't done. It's not done by any stretch of the imagination. United play PSG and they have Leipzig to play on the final day and they need to um, basically avoid defeat um, in both of them, really. And, yeah, the the, the key issue for um, PSG and Leipzig is, is that their defences are shit. They're absolutely awful. Um, I, I really hope that Cavani starts. Um at Old Trafford because PSG have looked awful this season at the back and they've looked awful dom- they haven't even looked good domestically like we always joke about PSG being so great in the league but they've they've dropped so many points this season um yeah this is this is an extremely tasty group like I mean Leipzig should be Istanbul Basak Shahir which just set up the final match day to be like a basically a who wins wins situation um so yeah Rosie, any thoughts about um, how United can sort of do in France tomorrow? Um, I think Wednesday, yeah. No, we're, we're playing Old Trafford, I think. Oh, of course, yeah, my bad. Yeah. Obviously, I forgot about the whole the, the sort of drama of winning in France two years in a row. Yeah, yeah and also like, you know, an unnamed player, footballer, being arrested in, in Paris that we, you know. Uh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Let's go. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have any uh, particularly hot takes on this one. I think uh, Lawrence earlier already covered how United should play for this game and the rest of the season as well. Um, I think United will win this one. I think United have it. Um, I, I don't really have a lot of confidence in PSG at the moment. And you don't know, United, United seem to be able to pull off some of these uh, nice victories, uh, kind of building up a habit of it against PSG as well now, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I wonder how Mbappe will do because obviously he's done work fairly well in the Champions League recently, you know, no, most notably the assist for Chupo Moting against Atalanta in the, in the quarterfinals of last season, but he hasn't actually scored a goal in over a year in the Champions League, which is fairly surprising. Wow. And how, yeah. how, is, how are they doing with injuries? Because I've not, I've not paid too much attention to Paris this year. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how they're doing for this, this game personally, but um, they keep sort of, in, in sort of domestic games, they, see, do, do, they, do, they have had like lots of injuries at any, every sort of given time. And they play like lots of random youth players that, you know, must be talented if they're getting into the PSG team, but also could be a sign of their sort of weaknesses mm. because of injury. Did you see what Neymar said after they dropped points again against Bordeaux um, before the United match? Uh, no, illuminate us. <laughs> Your enthusiasm is, is astounding, substitute teacher. Um, no, he said, he said, basically said, we're going to have to bring our best game to Old Trafford, which I thought was pretty rich given how shit Neymar was and has been in the Champions League this year. I, I really think that he will go down as one of the, like, um, I don't want to say failed wonder kids because he did have no, a few good seasons not. at Barca. But as in, like, letdowns. Like, the biggest disappointments in world football over the past I think, few years. I think, yeah, I think if PSG had won that final against Bayern, his legacy would have been cemented, right? And I think yeah, the fact that close to being, to cementing that legacy shows that he's no, nowhere near being a sort of failed wonder kid. I think maybe, you know, give it one more season or two at PSG, and he'll probably go go back to potentially Barcelona. Um, I, I, I can't really see who else he goes to if he doesn't if, if he leaves PSG to be honest. But I mean, on my but... football manager save, Neymar's wage demands mean that PSG release him after uh, in twenty twenty one. So I actually signed Neymar on a free for United. So yeah, is that I a mean, potential thing? Do you, do you... I mean, whether whether he does that in real life rather than a football game, we'll see. But I mean, I I personally. <laughs> I think he's an excellent player. I don't think he's anywhere near being a sort of labelled as a failed talent at all. I mean, his his achievements for Barcelona, for Brazil, um, and yeah, his goal scoring record for PSG sort of says it all. I mean, Boti, surely you've got to agree with me on, me on this, right? Yes, not as enthusiastically. I mean, I think it was one of the poorest career decisions to go to PSG, but he's not a. I mean, failure's really, really far from what he is. He has he has enjoyed success. Um, and I, I totally agree if that Champions League final last year would have been a victory um, for PSG, then that, that would have indicated his decision, in my opinion. That would have meant, well, yeah. he was there for the journey. They made it. They, you know, they didn't quite get it, I suppose. I suppose, yeah, I, I suppose Arjun is right then. We just have to wait one or two more years, see, see how this happens, to get a real solid sample of, a, of what it I really is. The most remarkable thing for me about Neymar at PSG is he's been there over three years. And he's, he still hasn't reached 100 games for them. Um, you know, he's just been ravaged by injuries. Obviously, you can say he's probably played like just under three years given the whole sort of um, pandemic this year and lack of games. But, I mean, yeah, he's just been ravaged by injuries. And 
he's never reached 30 games, I don't think, in a league season for them, which just shows the sort of perhaps lost potential. But I do also think, I do agree with you, Boti, that the decision to go to PSG was a bit nonsensical, to be honest. I mean, I don't, I think, I feel like money was the main motivating factor there. Um, and yeah, the absolutely. And the agent, agent fees for his father. Yes, escape the shadow of Messi as well. Um, Are you still salty, Boti? Like about just a little. Three, I'm, I'm glad you can tell it. from my tone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do wonder how you know whether Neymar and Mbappe will sort of leave PSG fairly soon if the if the vanity project doesn't work out and if they you know move to Spain, which is pro- probably most likely. Um, but yeah, that's it. We've covered a lot today, and yeah, thanks, Lawrence. Um, I have I have one last you... thing actually. I just remembered an honourable mention to uh, Benevento who took points off Juventus this weekend. Just oh, yeah. a very, very fun team. So I just thought I'd uh, mention that. Congrats yeah, to I them. Mean, my memories of Benevento are hilarious because obviously a few seasons ago when, when they were in the league, I think they lost their first 16 games in Syria. And the first the first team that they got a point against was Milan. Um, and they, they even beat them in the return fixture. Um, but they seem to have adapted slightly better this season. Um, but yeah, obviously Juventus doing quite poorly in the league this season. I think they've drawn more games than they've won. Um, so yeah from them but anyway thanks Lawrence thanks Boti um, and yeah that's it for today's episode of You Can't Podcast with Kids and yeah look forward to reviewing all the games uh, on Thursday thank you